Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, episode number eight slash nine, depending on how you do the count, uh, of Today to Brunswick, Tomorrow the World. Uh, and uh, anecdotally, because uh, just I, 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 I thought of a tangent, and far be it from me to uh, let a, a good tangent go unpassed, it's, uh, it's a bit akin, the way we're doing this uh, mm-hmm. podcasting uh, thing, Dan and anybody else who's out there. The way that uh, I was I was married to a, a Korean woman for uh, 17 years. My kid's mom is Korean. And the way that they count uh, people's birth years in Korea is they give you credit for the year uh, that you're sort of in utero, right? Okay. So when you're born, you don't start at, you know, year zero. Uh, you start at year one. So mm-hmm. you're already one year old when you come out. So, uh, or sorry, I guess that is giving you credit for sort of the nine months, you know, year yeah. zero inside mom's stomach. Or exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, that's sort of akin to what we've done with this uh, numbering scheme. We are, we are technically on our ninth episode, uh, given that we started, uh, you know, we, we started on episode zero as, as being our first. So exactly. Anyway, uh, completely uh, tangential. Yeah. Um, Might as well just make things a little more complicated. Just let's let's just let's just just throw it down uh, right out of the gate, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, Matt Stranick and Dan Hayward uh, here with you as ever. Um, Depending on regard, regardless of how you you do your numbering. Yeah. Um, And. uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Dan, how's it going, man? How's, uh, how are things? Things are good. They're, uh, it, it was an interesting few weeks there since our last episode. Um, I, do, uh, do, do tell. I, I think I know what you're referring to here, bud, but uh, do tell. Well, I'm, uh, well, in that time, uh, my partner and I had our anniversary. My birthday was the next day. My job went on strike for a while. Um, I ended up joining a picket line marching band uh for a few days there uh because apparently i look like the kind of person that can swing a you know pick up and swing a bass drum Uh, you were were doing the bass drum like well it was pretty much well what it was it was uh it was the kick drum from this guy's personal drum kit that he just kind of rigged up a harness for um that i was carrying around and just hitting with you know some sort of mallet because he had had an actual bass drum that he had borrowed from the cadet troop that he taught band to and unfortunately one of the insignias got shown on the on uh on the news and they weren't super excited about that so he just brought his personal kick drum from home and he's like here this is bass drum enough um and yeah it sort of recruited me uh one of the days that i showed up at the picket line because and then that was just something to do for the time that i was out there wow Um, that's really that's really earning your strike pay dude that's uh yeah the the, 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 the PSAC atlantic you know marching band i i exactly i wouldn't have funk it dude uh but uh uh, technically it was i think one of the highest paying musical you know Looking at even though the strike pay, you know, strike pay is strike pay. It's still one of the higher paying gigs that I think I've had as, as a paid musician. Right? Exactly. That's, yeah. Man, that's that that opens up so many other 
tangents mm-hmm. in my mind that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fight him back. I'm gonna fight yeah. him back. Like for instance, how many punk musicians in Canada are even part of the professional music association? You know, music guild or mm. whatever. You know. Uh, so can copyright laws, you know, factor into these questions. I mean, I yeah. just so many questions, but um, I guess that's uh, neither hither nor yon. Uh, if you are still listening, which I, I, I trust that you are, I, I'm going to I'm going to stay positive here. Um, just uh, let's uh, we, we kind of got an interesting one here, Dan. I, it's sort of uh, it lended it, it lends itself to uh Let's talk to a bit of research on my part, which mm. I, mean, I always I always do a bit of research, but um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the rabbit holes that I went down uh, just you know on on uh, the, the couple of hours leading up to this. So why yeah. don't you just give us a bit of an overview about uh, what we're on today? What? Well, this is kind of this spun off from uh, our last episode where we looked at uh, artists, you know, bands that. Uh, Maybe maybe only ever put out one full length album, yeah. um, and you know while I was looking into you know sort of trying to put together my list for that, I was thinking of how many you know sort of punk and hardcore bands only ever put out one record, and then thinking about how there were a bunch of ones that I really liked that all featured like you know common musicians, and then other yeah another uh, pick on my list featured. Uh, somebody who I've been listening to their music in different projects for a couple of decades now um, that I was just like, figured, hey, let's just talk about some artists that, you know, we've enjoyed sort of over the arc of their career through different incarnations and sort of like in bands, maybe with some solo projects, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Totally. Um, And, you know, uh, part of the uh, way that we kind of, handle uh the way that this episode or the the way that this uh, podcast comes together uh is you know that i kind of i i get a uh bizarre amount of uh <laughs> enjoyment from doing the uh the media element you know like the, the website and uh and the formatting of the, of the notes and stuff uh to to a degree because it kind of overlaps with uh you know my my uh i don't know my career as an educator within the e-learning space a bit um and one of the uh metaphors that kind of came to my mind from this uh you know uh i always try and get these kind of weird ridiculous graphics to throw into the recording and in the website um and there's going to be a lot of spiders in this one a lot of webs, <laughs> you know like a lot of webs because these yeah. are people are uh, creatures uh, musical creatures who uh you know are, are part of these vast kind of uh, networks within a scene uh, and whatnot. So uh, I don't know. I, I uh, that just kind of what's what's stuck in my craw uh, a bit there, and uh, I just uh, yeah. So the the tangled webs that we weave, you know, when we're uh, engaged in this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, man. So uh, why don't we uh, just dive right into it? What who? Who, who, or whom, or uh, would would be uh, the the first that you want to speak to here on your list, but Well, the first I want to speak to is uh, an artist that came up on the last episode, uh, which okay. is uh, Jamie Moline, aka LP. Uh, okay. Who is 
I guess currently he is one half, mostly known as one half of Run, Run the Jewels. They're, they uh, got this cool hand signal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The- uh, but he's he's been part of a couple different, you know, a few different groups. I've been listening to his music. I realize now for twenty four years. Okay. Um, wow, and, that's, uh, that's impressive. He's been making music since 1992 or thereabouts. Like I think he was like in high school or something when uh, Company Flow, his first group, uh, when they, which is the first, it was the first project of his I got into, but I didn't get into them to like towards the tail end of their career, like in the late 90s. Okay. Um, but uh, Company Flow were based in New York. Uh, it was LP, big. Uh, another rapper named Big Juss and a DJ named Mr. Len. Uh, their uh, their motto that was like plastered on all their records was independent as fuck. Uh, <laughs> and they were one of the first kind of like hip hop artists that I knew of that was really sort of proudly trying to work outside like the major label system. And just like they had a real like it was like what the Ramones were to like rock and roll. They were to like the elements of hip hop because it was all just like really, that's really like super jank, almost like kind of like janky sounding, like you know, like very obviously put together from like you know, looped record sample kind of beats, uh, mixed with like, like LP uses like he's a keyboard player and like synth player a lot, so there's a lot of like you know, sort of live synth and you know, sort of stuff that he plays himself over top of a lot of it, but like. Yeah, like company flow were just kind of like raw and gnarly, but like with really like intricate, like kind of like abstract lyrics for the most part. But uh, yeah, they were just something like way outside the norm of most of what was happening in hip hop at that time. And uh, yeah, (laughs) in my notes, I tried to write up the story, like set the, the tone of the first time I heard them, which was driving around in a jeep with my friend sean who was like a hip-hop dj from florida who had to leave florida on very short notice due to uh making a series of one-inch buttons with burning confederate flags that some of his neighbors weren't super stoked on in that area uh, so he took off to the west coast and i ended up living on his couch for a while uh when i first moved to portland for a bit or when i moved to portland for a bit sort of in 1999 and uh we were driving around through like the back alleys of portland's industrial district because he wanted to like try and find like old fluorescent light fixtures and stuff in dumpsters to see if he could like sell them for scrap but it was just like you know (laughs) a hot day driving down these back alleys in this like gnarly industrial district and just like just the most it just seemed like the most abrasive music you could make while using like the basic elements of hip hop to me and still having it. And just, and it, it was this one song patriotism that I'm putting in the notes. It's like one of the last songs they did. That was just like, it blew my mind when I heard it. Um, and then, like I said, they, uh, company flow went from lasted from 1992 till about 2000. And then LP went solo started his own record label uh definitive jokes records and uh started doing a lot of production yeah like he produced the cannibal ox record and he started he released three solo albums over the course of 15 years uh 
plus an instrumental jazz album uh, with Matthew Shipp. And I think William Parker as well. Like just some of the like, you know, the cool New York jazz guys of the early two thousands. Um, because he was there. And, exactly. Because uh, he, he was there and it's just like him playing like keyboards and synths with these dudes. And uh it's an album called High Water that's uh that's worth checking out as well. And then yeah, had uh, a run every five years he was putting out a solo album for a while, and then during that time started doing production for Killer Mike who was more sort of from the Atlanta, like, outcast-adjacent kind of scene. Okay. And uh, I believe they, they met up through uh, Adult Swim, the, like, Cartoon Network <laughs> offshoot that's, like, because they had friends that worked there or something who were just like, you guys should hang out. Um, and now they've had this, like, that was sort of the project of his that launched him sort of into the commercial <laughs> sphere, I guess, in a lot of ways after being like, but still like through, you know, like, I don't think they're on a major label still. Like they've still mostly just been releasing stuff through like smaller labels and that, but yeah, like unfortunately company flows one full length album, uh, fun crusher plus is totally out of print. You can find it on YouTube, but that's about it. And like maybe find a used copy somewhere, but it's like, the label that was on Rockus Records uh, ceased to exist a while back, and I don't think they were on very good terms with them when the label ended. So, you know, a bit punk rock kind of in the uh, exact, in not always the best yeah. way, but yes, yeah. definitely. And it's just cool. I don't know. Like I said, I've just been. It's been cool watching LP's music kind of evolve from like, like it's it's still got like. A lot of it sounds like, you know, what they listen to in, they would listen to in like Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, that's the best way I can think of it. Like, you know, what somebody that was like, you know, going out, going out, you know, for a night on the town would listen to in like, you know, the Blade Runner universe <laughs> or whatever. Like, right. it's, uh, it, but, uh, and also, uh, during the pandemic, I became a big fan of the, uh, uh, two minutes to late night YouTube channel. And he's actually married to one of the producer producers who like create, you know, is behind most, you know, a lot of the content on that channel, which I thought was pretty cool. Cause it's like somebody, it's like that channel is very much like kind of like the comedy adjacent end of like the New York punk and hardcore scene. And then this person who's like an innovator in hip hop is just kind of like, starts hanging out with those folks, which I think is pretty cool, which well, is, I think that's yeah. how one of Beyonce's producers ended up on uh, one of the two minutes late night tracks, <laughs> but <laughs> through that connection. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So LP is my first pick as somebody that's just, like I said, I've been a fan of his whole, the whole arc of his career. Oh yeah. And I did get to see him live once he came here and played at pop explosion. Wow. Uh, and it was a pretty great show. Um, yeah. It was him and, it was basically two people on stage playing iPads, but they still made it entertaining, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, he ended up like kind of like really trying to promote like the local artists that opened for him at that show too, on his social media, just being like, Hey, you should check out this guy, these guys, weirdo click. I think they're really great. You know, they opened for me here in Halifax, you know, this is their music, which I thought was pretty cool of them. But anyways, yeah, that was my first pick. Well, man, that's fantastic. Uh, and, uh, this sort of, culminates you know uh this whole episode sort of culminates a bit of a the the thought here you know about how 
wherever you know artists happen to be from, they are very much a product of their scenes. And uh, you know, you figure that uh, musicians tend to be you know people who dive into their collaborations and their uh, you know quote unquote professional lives relatively early. You know, every you know I'm just kind of in in the picks that I've got. You know, everybody, you know, really started out as teenagers, uh, which is consistent with, uh, you know, my experience, our experience in Fredericton, I think, you know, mm-hmm. during, those, during those years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just the uh, the constellation uh, of characters, you know, so it's like, you know, like in Fredericton, right? You know, like, so you'd have, like, there was a period where you'd have, like, Lloyd Hansen's Thrash Peninsula, which is like, you know, this jazz-ish you know, hard rock combo, mm. uh, at the yes. same, you know, re- coexisting, you know, with whatever, you know, like, like Eric Hill, like, you know, doing like his, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. laptop, laptop, you know, art at the, you know, audio, audio, uh, soundscapes and whatnot overlap, you know, selling vinyl to, you know, the punk dirtbag kids, uh, hanging out at officer square who were mm-hmm. you know, in, in those bands. So, uh, just, uh, you know, the story of any one scene is, in a lot of ways, the story of all or any scenes yeah. kind of writ large, right? The the dynamics and, uh, yeah, just it's, it's cool, you know, that uh, to, to acknowledge that none of this stuff happens mm-hmm. ever in a, in a vacuum, right? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, and I guess uh, just in terms of the, uh, the general thing, when I was kind of looking at mine, I mean, again, uh, what I found here is... Uh, like just in terms of the names that came to me, the first three names that I thought of for this list were all drummers. So, you know, drummers of bands. And mm-hmm. I think, and the more I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, there's a reason for that. And a lot of oh, yeah. cases, the drummers, you know, in the, in, you know, just by looking at the Wikipedia stuff, it's like they, in a lot of cases were guitar players first, but then, you know, they're a family member had a kit or something and mm-hmm. uh, they just, by necessity, like, well, you know, my hardcore band fell apart. Um, yeah. So I'll advertise myself as a drummer just to kind of increase what I'm able to do. Uh, and uh, thereby they became, you know, the drummer in uh, what turned out to be their major project. Um, so uh, in terms of that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hold off on, on, on those names for just a moment. Because uh, the first name that I actually have on my list is some is is like uh, I thought of it last. I thought of it like on the way up to the shower after mm-hmm. doing my notes. Um, oh yeah. So so I'm gonna just uh, give a shout out to uh, Tommy Stinson from the Replacements. Um, you know the Replacements. Uh, anybody who mm-hmm. knows me, I mean, if you know, uh, there's there's people who are like really into Kiss or like really like into you know whatever and can name like all the trivia and minutia. Like that's, I, I'm that guy for, and for me, the replacements is that band. Um, you know, like I've read all of the, the biography books that have come out. I got a coffee table book photos underneath my, the, the thing on my coffee table. Um, and Tommy Stinson uh, started out, uh, you know, he was 11 years old when he started playing with uh, Paul Westerberg and uh, Chris Mars and his brother, Bob, who were, you know, 18 and 19 at the time. So, uh, you know, and again, he just kind of started playing bass because they just need the bass player and they were antisocial weirdos jamming in their mom and in, in, in uh, you know, his mom's basement. And it's like, OK, you know, like you're going to be the bass player. I'm like, 
okay, you know. Uh, and and from there, uh, he's gone on, apart from being like just this really, really dynamite uh, punk musician in, in, in the replacements for uh, all the years that they were active touring and recording, about nine or ten years, uh, including stints on uh, major label uh, as well as, you know, the, their local indie label. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the reunion that they had for a few years uh, back in 2015-ish, uh, besides that, uh, he also, like on the opposite, other, other opposite side of the spectrum, he was part of the uh, Chinese democracy era of Guns N' Roses. He, he, was, he was Axel's bass player for Guns N' Roses for longer than he was in the replacements because Duff McKagan, wow. you know, after, you know, the spaghetti incident, uh, mm-hmm. fell apart and like Axel was the only GNR member, you know, with act with, with copyright on the name, uh, and just playing with this motley assortment uh, mm-hmm. of uh, musicians. Uh, you know, uh, Tommy Stinson was in Los Angeles. Uh, he moved there after the replacements ended. Uh, and he was playing in a couple of really good, solid punk bands that did not make any money. Uh, and so he was in a band called Perfect, which is really good. They put out mm-hmm. an EP. Uh, he was in uh, Bash and Pop, which is, again, this really awesome uh, project with, uh, like, two records out. One record initially, and then years and years later, he kind of reactivated it for another record. Um, you know, and those are all worth checking out in and of themselves. But he was like, yeah, he, w- he was like, uh, he helped. Axel Rose tell other musicians in his band what he wanted them to do in such a way that they wouldn't get alienated and quit. Um, and he's the guy on record uh, as like a songwriter and contributor to uh, a bunch of songs on uh, Chinese democracy. This is the one record that he's been on, which I'll probably never listen to because what the flying fuck, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Just, but, um, and as well, uh, he's also, you know, because of his uh, thing, he's, he stepped up as uh, a member of uh, the band Soul Asylum, also from Minneapolis, when their bass player passed away and they, they were going to continue recording. You know, they had that uh, hit Runaway Train back in the uh, oh, yeah. Grunge Explosion era. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, have, they have a couple of good records. They started yeah. as kind of a punk band. Yeah, they're, they're uh, early. I've heard some of their early, like, pre, like, Runaway Train, that whole lot stuff. Like, some of their, like, Stuff they did on Twin Tone that was like I quite enjoyed. Yeah, Twin but, Tone. They kind of got a reputation as being like Husker Du Junior, you know, kind of yeah, like younger, exactly. kind of following in their footsteps. Um, you know, and he's put out uh, besides all of that uh, a couple of just you know individual albums under his own name, which are really good. And uh, he has a new one coming out with his former brother-in-law or former uncle-in-law, some like older guy without any you know, uh, published music credits, but a sound musician uh, playing bass and he's playing guitar as uh, this uh, sort of uh, folk traveling folk duo called Cowboys in the Campfire. Oh. Uh, and, they, and, they, and they do stuff like playing backyards. If you call, if you, if you give them enough money to, you know, uh, he'll it just, it's, it's just this eclectic thing. And they have their first uh, album recorded album of music coming out uh, later this month, actually. Uh, so he's just literally been all over the map. He, I, I mean, I don't know if he just doesn't, if he just needs the money that much or what. But uh, yeah, so uh, he was the last person I thought of for this episode. Uh, but uh, the first one I have to kind of put down just in terms of 
stuff I've uh, paid attention to since a very young age. So there hmm. we go. All right. Yeah, man. So who do you got for your second one? My second one is one that, uh, again, is sort of more from like the underground scene, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and the punk rock end of things. Yeah. Where, um, you know, I got really into, say, around the mid 90s, say, uh, I, I got really into Ebullition Records, um, like a lot of people I know. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, Very good. Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, the one common factor of a lot of like sort of that early, like mid sort of mid nineties to early two thousands run of Ebullition Records yep. um, was a musician named Sarah Kirsch uh, okay. from the Bay Area uh, who she originally started playing in bands in like 1988, 89. Uh, she played in like a, a pretty like punk punk kind of band called the Skin Flutes. And then Fugazi really got big and, you know, kind of blew everybody's mind. And yeah. uh, she ended up starting a band, uh, being part of a band called Fuel. Uh, not to be confused with the major label Fuel band called Fuel that we're on, like I think like the Godzilla 1995 and that kind of uh, thing. I'm sorry, um, dude. I, I don't want to just jump in, but this, did you see? Um, do, do you follow the uh, 90s hardcore cassette and CD and zine collection? Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, I because, follow a bunch of those accounts because the dude who owns Ebullition uh, posted an account on Facebook of the whole. Fuel versus fuel saga. Oh yeah, and, yeah. I saw that. Re- that was one of the reasons. One of the thing that and the fact that I, w- I was wondering if that was what compelled you to mention that, that was one of the th- that was one that and the fact that Sarah Kirsch. Uh, I looked in the time in the, the entire arc of her career uh, in music was in fifteen different bands. Uh, the there's a really nice tribute page to her uh, on the Maximum Rock and Roll website. Uh, that okay. has a full list of them here. I'll list off all of her bands right now. Okay, um, sure. There was the Skin Flutes that were from 88 to 89. Then yep. Fuel that was from 89 to 91. Uh, she played guitar on the first 15 7-inch, uh, who were a pretty big deal in pop punk there for a while. Actually, yeah. Um, uh, then she was in a band called Silver Bearing uh, just in 1990. Uh, she was in Pinhead Gunpowder for the first four years. That was a band. Wow. Uh, they really? were around. Really? Uh, she was the second guitarist. Uh, then she was in Sawhorse uh, from 91 to 92, another ebullition band, and Navio Forge, another ebullition band, <laughs> John Henry West. I really uh, like Pinhead Gunpowder. 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pinhead Gunpowder are great. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're. Uh, yeah, the the sum of their parts is uh, they're they're one of those like I was thinking of supergroups as a possible topic for the future, and they were definitely a band that I would put as a supergroup for sure. Totally. totally. Um, but yeah, then Torture to Rome, uh, who were around from '95 to '96, uh, Bread and Circuits, the one band of hers I did get to see, uh, who were from '98 to '99. Very cool. Uh, then please inform this is the captain. This is a hijack from 2000 to 2003. Uh, Colborn, which it was her doing another project with uh, Aaron Comet Bus from Pinhead Gunpowder. Uh, that was apparently about ancient, it was uh, a pop punk band themed around Russian philosophers or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, she had a band called Botter Brains uh, from 2005 to 2010. And then her final musical project was The Mother Country Motherfuckers. Wow. Uh, who were around from 2010 to 2012. 
So a uh, tribute page. And she passed away then? Yeah, she, she no passed away in 2012. That? She uh, had, uh, I had to look, yeah. She had like a rare form of uh, leukemia, or not, le- oh. or, or it was a rare form of anemia that basically like means you will end up getting leukemia, usually oh. if you have it. Um, oh. So yeah, she passed away in 2012, but uh, you can actually find the, the Mother Country Motherfuckers album is available basically for free or whatever you want to donate. Uh, on the Bandcamp page of Clean Plate Records, the label to put it out initially. I'll put that in the notes. Yeah, um, okay, but yeah, good. there were what it's and like Oliver. I don't want to say Oliver bands sound the same, but they have like there was like you could see an arc of musical style of like not like super fast, but like really driving, kind of like yeah, kind of like not super screamy, but driving like I hate to say emotional, but you know what I mean but still very punk. Um, but, you know, towards through like her last few bands, she was started to work in more like sort of like, like synthesizers and like samples and just like weird, like mother country motherfuckers were really like, they had like, they all had like weird costumes. It was almost like not quite the residents, but almost the, like something like that residence Devo kind of like, you know, like they would all be dressed all in white with white wigs and white masks, like white, like elderly masks on and stuff like and uh, yeah, it's really and it was just one of those things that like she was just in so many great bands that never really lasted for very long that had some overlap in other people. But it was just kind of like they would last long enough to put together like a 25 minute set and then 20 of those songs would be on like. A 12-inch that played at 45 RPM that got released on Ebullition or some label like that. And then move on to another project. Just kind of like that's kind of what happens sometimes. Like you get people that'll, you know, some people like work under the same sort of alias with the same people for years and years and years. And some people are just like, oh, well, let's do this. Oh, you don't have time to do this anymore. You're moving away. All right. This person's in the band now. And now it's called this. And, you know, we'll work at these elements instead but just Seems like stalwarts exactly but like uh... over that like set of 20 you know 25 years or so that she was active in music really like just put out so many like killer bands that even if they only had like one or two releases there was like there was some quality releases High that quality you know on all of them exactly yeah, yeah. and like when i was thinking of like bands that only had one record i almost put bread and circuits on there because they played uh, I saw them play a show in uh, Victoria that was one of my favorite shows of like that kind of era of that kind of scene of music um, that it was Render Useless, uh, another band from the Bay Area called uh, Former Members of Alphonsine, uh, who kind of had their singer had it, it almost it was almost like the hold steady style vocals of just like, awesome. you know. Here's an S, you know, here's kind of an essay and kind of a short story, but it's over top of like, you know, a punk band. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah. And then Bread and Circuits, then Submission Hold with all of their like peripheral musicians. Like, so like their violinist and like their flute player and all that stuff. (laughs) And uh, then headlining was uh, this band C and Red, who had toured with some of Sarah's other bands in the past as well, who were. They're from Holland. They had a couple records on Ebullition also. And like, they're still going now, but they're the folks that were like, you know, they, they all used to play in a band called Larm, 
that were basically the minor threat of Holland or like the okay. minor threat contemporaries playing that style of music in Holland at the time who are now still like in their 60s, like currently playing <laughs> at Sea and Red still, uh, which is pretty awesome in its own right. Um, yeah, I would say. But yeah, yeah, just like that show was just like of that really kind of like, you know, like I'm going to hand out a lyric sheet before my set kind of era <laughs> of punk rock. Like that was like just such an amazing show. Like just like just such a killer lineup. And there were people like there was like a friend of mine from Newfoundland at the show and friends of mine from Alberta. It was in Victoria, but there were like yeah. friends of mine from Alberta and Newfoundland and like all these other parts of the country that just they happened to be passing through and they were at this yeah. like you know part of the 400 or so people there to see all of these like you know just you know some of the top tier bands of like a certain part of the punk scene oh. um and yeah it was just really cool and like yeah sarah kirsch was a big part of that so and as well as a ton of other bands so yeah i'll link to that uh mrr tribute page that has the list of all the bands as well as like you know, links to like her music and like other stuff people wrote about her and that, and just more Fantastic. info that's better put together than I possibly could <laughs> in my notes as well. And well, then I'll I turn mean, it over to you. Well, I mean, nah, man, that's that's uh, sick. And uh, like, really, uh, again, just finding you know some of these uh, secondary sources that uh, kind of appeals a bit to the uh, academic-ish uh, person in me. With uh, you notes know, like, why, you know, like, why not? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really uh, mm-hmm. it's out there, and uh, no, nah, man, that's fantastic. I I I stood uh, to be informed right there, and I watched. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's dope. So I guess um, I'm going to actually leapfrog a little bit around my list, um, mm-hmm. you know, because just because of your mention of Ebullition Records, um, I'm going to uh, mention uh, that I just found out this person's last name uh, today. Uh, so whom I had previously just referred to as Matt from Shotmaker, okay, Matt Deline, that's his name, and I had yeah. to, like, look something up to find that out, um, and uh, we're talking now, so I was talking about drummers as kind of being, you know, these utility players within the scene, he's one of this rare breed, he's, he's, a, he's, this, he's one of these singing drummers, okay, um, I really... I mean, I, I don't know shit about music, you know, musicianship generally, but to me, that looks really difficult. Like playing that instrument at a high level, and if you're in a punk band at a high speed, uh, you know, and still, you know, doing what you need to to uh, to vocalize. I mean, that just sounds to me like like lunacy that people would do that. But uh, that was uh, so, you know, in Shopmaker. Uh, Shotmaker, as it turns out, was not uh, his first band. Uh, there was a band, uh, Herbal something. I'm going to have to refer to that in my notes. Uh, I but, think, uh, I, oh God, I, I remember that, but I can't remember the name. Okay, well, I'll just put in a quick, uh, because now I mentioned it. Uh, so, Matt Deline Herbal. What? Um, Herbal Scream, okay. Herbal okay, Scream. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so based uh, and uh, these these folks uh, were were in uh, you know some uh, they I, I thought they originated in Ottawa. I was wrong. They they sort of went to Ottawa from you know some smaller community in uh, in in southern Ontario, 
uh, which, you know, that'll, that'll be in the notes. But, uh, you know, speaking of bands of, you know, with association of Ebullition Records, because they, they were on uh, in the, the Heart Attack number 10, uh, with 12 inch, 12 inch vinyl that came out, um, you know, one of those comps, uh, which it wasn't my first exposure to them, but, um, I was aware of them at the same time as uh, crayon club, uh, came out. And, uh, it seemed like just as soon as I became aware of them, uh, basically they met, they put out their uh, second record on a slightly bigger label, uh, on the, you know, the mouse ear forget me not album. They put that on, on Trouble Man mm-hmm. Records, Trouble Man Unlimited Records, which uh, was the, I think, first, uh, like Titus Andronicus, who is still yeah, going, yeah. started out, you know, was on this on this American uh, punk mm-hmm. label of, of some renown, uh, yeah. no longer in existence, regrettably, mm-hmm. but uh, it kind of shows you that they, like, within uh, a very limited, you know, period of time, uh, one of the members uh, of Shotmaker, that is Matt, that I was looking up just through my research, he was like, yeah, I turned 16. I had my 16th birthday uh, playing, uh, you know, the Gilman uh, place, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, so if you can imagine what that must have been like, I mean, that's pretty pretty cool compared to what I was doing when I was 16. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Matt uh, Deline, he's also, you know, gone on to uh, play in some other bands, as you say, of and from that era. Uh, so 30 second motion picture, three penny opera. Uh, I remember both of those, you know, uh, from when I was living in Montreal, uh, for a summer as being like part of just the record collection that was around, uh, when I was there in 2001 ish, you know, kicking, that was kicking around. And I remember thinking, man, this is, this, these are all fantastic. I wish there was more of that. Um, and, uh, slow Parker, who I talked about kind of at length in, uh, the, the previous episode, and uh, he's now gone on to um, something else now, which we call uh, Dark Plains. Uh, so he's still active. He's still, you know, and uh, he's he's uh, a bit older than other members of Shopmaker at the time when they got started. He was in his early 20s. So based on what I can figure, he's probably in his uh, late 40s or early 50s right now. Um, and uh, he, I, I saw a tagline in, in, in an article which sort of spoke to the various members of Shopmaker um, you know, you, after after some years, uh, it kind of referred to him as Ottawa's Ian Mackay, which uh, I, I kind of got a kick out of. So, uh, in terms of his presence, and uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of bands that like you know I, I haven't even mentioned, but if you go to his if you go to his Discogs thing, there's like 15 entries for different projects that he's been involved in. So, uh, pretty pretty substantial and. Uh, Pretty low, below the radar still, popular music of any kind. Uh, and, uh, you know, for Shopmaker, Three Penny Opera, 30 Second Motion Picture, I mean, those are all just sick in and of themselves, in my opinion. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure the, uh, the, the current one is, is worth checking out as well. So uh, the value of uh, this show is, for me, <laughs> being able to take a deeper dive on some of this stuff and uh, particularly with the theme of this episode. So Matt Deline, formerly of Shopmaker and a bunch of other wicked stuff, thank you for your service, pal. <laughs> if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, but you never know. So, You know what? You've actually inspired me to take, a sp- take one of my alternates and put it into my main list. Please Just do. Just ties into your last pick. Go ahead, um, Because 
Uh, one of the folks, I, I was like so indecisive with my list, trying to pick near, narrow it down to just five people that I could okay. think of. Yeah. Um, and one of the folks that I had initially considered, like, you know, as maybe like a runner up, uh, yep. was Yannick Lorraine, uh, who actually was the person who ran uh, Great American Stake Religion Records and put out the first couple of Shotmaker albums. Awesome. Yeah, uh, awesome. who he uh, besides running record labels, uh, besides putting out records and being a graphic artist, uh, he played in one of my favorite Canadian bands of all time, uh, Union of Uranus. Uh, <laughs> who, I didn't know they were Canadian, man. I yeah, no, they were from. They were like it was like folks from Quebec and folks from Ottawa, hmm. kind of like meeting up because Yannick is from Yannick Lorraine is from. He's originally from Quebec City. Uh, he'd played in a band called Doublethink there for a little bit, uh, then moved to Ottawa to go to art school in like the early 90s. Uh, while he was there, he helped start the uh, house show venue 5 Arlington, uh, which is where, like, like I remember it was a big deal that Aldernot from Fredericton played 5 Arlington when they were on tour. Because that not, was like, I was not aware of that. Yeah. that was like where all the like cool, whenever like a cool like band from sort of that end of the punk or hardcore scene would come through Ottawa, that's usually where they would play, was at this house show venue. And that's like when you look at like the old Shotmaker records that came out on Great American Stake Religion and that kind of stuff, that 5 Arlington is the mailing address for the label. Oh, wow. um, Very cool. But Uranus put out, they only put out a few records. Uh, they put out a demo tape that I actually bought a copy of through Phil Clark's distro back in the day. Uh, was, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they put out a split seven inch with, uh, I think it's Immoral Squad, who are like a band from Quebec City. Um, then they put out their double seven inch Disaster by Design, which is just like, a perfect record for me. I mean, double seven is just kind of like a weird format. Yeah. To put something out. Like it got reissued as a 10 inch, which is still like kind of, you know, but <laughs> like just even like the packaging. Cause like Yannick really put a lot, like, like I said, he's also a visual artist. Um, yeah. I know that he was like running a print shop for a while too. And just like all of the records that he put out on great American stack religion. And even like his later, the record level he runs currently feral ward. Um, you know, there's a lot of care put into, like, the visual aspects of things. And, like, you know, the Uranus Double Seven Inch had this really nice fold-out cover. And, like, um, I was actually just thinking about that record the other day because uh, the movie Laolo came up. Um, and <laughs> That is an intense movie. There's that a soundbite from yeah. Laolo. I actually I ended up watching that in my Intro to Canadian Film class that I took at UNB. While, like around the time that I bought that double seven inch and put it together, it's like there's a sample that's like Le Camelot Cri dans le vide. And I can't remember what the rest of it is, but it's just like, you know, some angsty, like, you know, bit of like French dial. It's from like the word tamer character, like some voiceover oh. that he was doing. But it was okay. just very like, you know, like hearing that like sampled and just like this really great, like just really intense, heavy hardcore record it was like really cool to me. Um, and then, in an interesting turn, you know, just a surprising turn of events, he ended up, Yannick ended up getting invited to move to Tennessee after Uranus broke up, move to Tennessee and play guitar for another one of my favorite bands of that era. And pretty much of all time, his hero is gone. Oh, very good. Very um, good. Who yeah, were yeah, from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was such a huge fan of theirs back in the day that I wore 
a bootleg shirt of theirs until it literally rotted off me pretty much. Like, it just like there was much less, like there was not much shirt left to that shirt by the time I finally retired it. Uh, but they were just like, it was just like, they just had this perfect mix of like speed and just like deep heaviness and like atmosphere and like just, and, and like a melody that wasn't really, present in a lot of heavier bands like that at the time and uh their uh his heroes dawn's original uh second guitarist ended up being asked to leave the band i believe in maybe a just like you're out of here kind of way uh okay. after their first album uh, 13 uh, uh 16 counts of arson uh was released uh and the or no it's 15 counts of arson uh and then Yannick ended up being invited to move to Tennessee from Ottawa. Wow. So that's, to, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of, a, I don't know, a prestigious gig yeah. in a way. And like yeah. he, I think, I'm pretty sure the whole time he was just kind of like, you know, just traveling long enough to like practice and learn songs and tour and then go back to Canada for a bit. And, uh, but uh yeah, he ended up playing on his Heroes Gone's next two albums, uh, Monuments to Thieves, which is just like, like their second album is just like one of the, like, uh, it's a perfect record to me. Like, okay. just, you know, just like, it's just as far as like heavy music in general, it's just like, like one of my perfect records. <laughs> like my last band covered one of the song, one of those songs off that album for like the entire time I was in that band um, right on. or one of my last bands. Uh, just like yeah like they were they were a big deal to me and then uh, they actually broke up <laughs> they broke up about a week before I was supposed to finally get to see them live Aww. or it was like on the tour they broke up while on the tour that I was supposed to see a stop of while on uh, tour while we're not on making tour. any money and we can't stand each other and it yeah. was just uh, it was mostly just issues with the bass player uh, because the other sort of this, the core of the band, uh, uh, who are the core of the band is actually two siblings, uh, Paul Burdett, uh, who sang and played guitar and Todd Burdett who played drums. Um, okay. and Paul, Todd and Yannick ended up just finding a new bass player and starting the band that sort of, he spent the majority of his music career playing in uh, tragedy, uh, oh, who were pretty okay. much just like, you know, it's like they took what his heroes gone did. They maybe like I wouldn't say cleaned it up, but you know, it it's not not everything's at as much of a breakneck speed, you know. Like they worked in a little more melody. I know Yannick is a big fan of like sort of. Would you call it melodic hardcore then? Is that yeah, the diff- I've heard the the term that I've heard I've I've heard them described as is stadium crust. Ah, uh, because nice. they 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 you know they love an epic ringing out octave chord kind of thing. Um, and like, they just, so many bands, it's, it's like Uranus sort of set a template that like, you know, pretty much entire sub genres kind of like borrowed from, and then his hero is gone kind of took, you know, one of the best parts of that. And then, you know, like there was a, there was a good time period of time, probably from like 1998 to like easily like 2008, 2010, where there were just a ton of bands trying to rip off tragedy and his hero is gone. Like, and like, they're still, I guess they haven't really done much in say the last five years or so, 
but I know Yannick's still running his record label for for award. But and yeah, tragedy, you know, like they put out an album in 2018, okay. and like you know, like they've been going for, like I think yeah, like almost two decades now, which is pretty Absolutely. impressive. And yeah, yeah like I said, yeah. I was I was kind of bummed that his year was. <laughs> it's they were this, and then my other runner up, uh, which was Dennis Lyzen, okay. uh, of formerly of Refused an International Noise Conspiracy, currently of Fake Names with Brian Baker. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways, because not only it's in the same summer, his hero is gone, broke up on the same tour that I was supposed to see them on. And then Refused broke up 48 hours before the show I was supposed to see them at. Wow. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, like I said, Sort of a, a late addition, a late sort of substitution into my list was just based on sort of what you brought up was Yannick Lorraine of Uranus and His Hero is Gone and Tragedy and as well running Feral Ward Records and uh, putting out just like a bunch of awesome like punk rock records as well as playing on a bunch of them as well. Uh, he actually stayed with me or ended up sleeping at like my apartment when I lived in Nelson, BC, uh, because he was roadieing for another band from Portland uh, called Remains of the Day, uh, okay. whose drummer would end up going on to play in Long Knife, who I talked about on a previous episode. Okay. Uh, and the whole time they were staying at the house, I was just like making sure, trying to make sure everything was nice for Yannick. Because I was like, I don't get starstruck often, but it was just like, this guy played on like, you know, two of my absolute favorite records of an entire genre of music, like, and he's going to sleep on my couch with my like weird black metal roommate, <laughs> like hanging out, making everybody feel uncomfortable. And like, you know, the That's show that, do. like the show that his band, that the band he was roadieing for, like, wasn't very good either. And, like, I felt really bad about it and just trying to, like, it was just, like, got to make it nice for you, Hedick, you know? Like, got to impress, like, the rock star sleeping on my couch. Yeah. Um, even though he was just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. I guess we got a show in a nice, you know, Vancouver's tomorrow. That'll probably be better than this. Because, uh, yeah, they weren't even playing in Nelson. They were playing in Castlegar, which is, like, a mill, mill town adjacent to nelson bc and even more happening i've heard uh, the i've heard the kootenays are uh, abundant in wild beautiful nature and uh culture you know of a certain variety is there yes had. but if you're but i mean if you're looking at you know punk or independent rock music as mm. kind of a more urbanized genre then uh, you're probably going to have a bit of a, a bit of a hard sell i would imagine yeah you know? but Anyways, so that was my that was my pick. What well, fantastic man! That's uh, you. You've uh, helped uh, lay out a lot of uh, context. Uh, you know, uh, I, I uh, was aware of and had enjoyed Union of Uranus. Uh, you know, and uh, heard uh, uh, the hero was gone uh, and the tragedy both without having really listened to either of them a whole lot. So I've actually you know jotted those down as. Uh, as uh, you know, worthy of uh, trying to uh, take ownership of some of that vinyl, yeah. such as it may exist out there uh, once we're done with this call. So, yeah, so. Mo- I, I would say definitely if you get a chance, pick up Monuments to Thieves by His Hero Is Gone. Uh, it's okay. basically it's kind of an unofficial concept album about like just all the shitty stuff in Memphis. <laughs> in a lot of ways um but yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty great album um lake Weeds is the song that's like 
you know, if there was a hit single off that album, that would be it. Anyways, yeah. Number one with a bullet. That exactly. One. Okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. That's sick, man. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, I think probably then just uh, in the interest of expediency and because it does kind of, uh, they, they kind of go together. It's, you know, it's kind of difficult to talk about one of these bands uh, without talking about the other. Um, I'm going to uh, mention here uh, Derek Grant, uh, the drummer uh, for the past uh, 20 years with Alkaline Trio uh, from Chicago. And I'm also going to mention uh, Neil Hennessy, who's with the Lawrence Arms, also of Chicago. Um, they, they, they both uh, kind of entered, you know, my awareness. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've, I've known about them both for a while, uh, but I got both into them uh, <laughs> in the midst of my divorce uh, over the and and my unemployment that I've been, you know, just living through these past couple of years. Um, they both resonated with me for whatever reason. And uh, in both cases, the drummers are just really, they're, they're both trios. Uh, so that's one thing that's uh, unique about them. They both emerged from kind of Midwest uh, hardcore in the 90s, you know, where you're in a bunch of bands before, you know, uh, your main thing. Uh, and, you know, you like, so for, uh, for Derek Grant, I mean, He's been in some bands like, and, I, and I, I'd heard of like through internet stuff, but like didn't, you know, wasn't aware he was a part of it. So in addition to being like with Alkaline Trio, who have just uh, been in the recording studio for their first album in, you know, five years, which is awesome. So thanks Blink-182 for uh, kicking out Matt Skiba. Uh, you know, just th thanks, for, thanks for giving that, you know, a bit more impetus there. But uh, he was in uh, so some bands like uh, uh, there's this band sort of ska rock called the uh, Suicide Machines. Oh yeah, I remember right. the Suicide Machines. So I, that's like I wouldn't have necessarily thought to check them out, but I'd heard of them, and now because like literally today I found out that he's the drummer of record for them for a few years in the '90s when they would have been like quite good uh, in their prime, really. So they're from De so they're from Detroit, right? Um, mm -hmm. and another um, and uh, Walls of Jericho. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 Walls of Jericho. Female-fronted hardcore band uh, mm -hmm. from the uh, 90s as well, uh, also from Detroit, as it turns out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, for the, the, the kind of ones that really, you know, kind of jumped out with him. I'm just trying to see if there's any others that I kind of noted down here that he was a part of. Um, let's see. Um, thoughts of Ionesco again, a hardcore band from Detroit. Uh, speaking of uh, you know hardcore bands with absurdist names drawn from literature. You know? so, I I know someone with a thoughts of Ionesco tattoo. Wow. Well, I got a Lawrence Arms tattoo uh, yeah. like just this past you know few months out of uh, respect for the Lawrence Arms, who you know part of the same scene. Uh, mm -hmm. Chicago-ish, you know, and uh, Chicago-ish. Chicago they're off Chicago. Um, and uh, so this is uh, Neil Hennessy. And uh, again, this is just one of these guys where it's like, I I'm, a, I'm a fan of his major project, you know, Lawrence Arms, but then just uh, by checking out the Discogs and uh, the uh, other stuff. So, I mean, he's been in some uh, bands associated with Lawrence Arms, including uh, The Falcon, which has, you know, I mentioned them before, has uh, two of the dudes from, uh, you know, uh, Lawrence Arms, plus one of the guys from Alkaline Trio, plus on their last record that came out a few years back,
they had um, Dave House uh, from uh, Philly, who's a, a punk veteran who's crafted out sort of an acoustic punk career over mm-hmm. the past few years. Uh, who just he, he has a new record out this month, which I really have enjoyed. Um, so, and as well as uh, playing with uh, Sundowner, uh, Chris from again Lawrence Arms, doing kind of a solo singer thing, but. You know, who do you want for the percussion and in multi-instrument? You know, mm-hmm. it's a guy that you already have a really good musical vibe with. And it turns out he also, like in addition just to that, um, he's uh, now also playing as the drummer on tour with Joyce Manor. Uh, okay. You know, and also with Sparta, uh, you know. So, like, these are all pretty well-known projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're talking about, like, just a guy who... You know, it's like, who knows a drummer that isn't a pain in the ass? Like, okay, this guy, right? Um, and uh, so in addition to that, he's also a uh, producer and engineer with Atlas Studios in Chicago. Um, so, you know, so that he's just been on countless projects just as a, as a producer and engineer. And he knows enough guitar. So Derek Grant, I mean, he also, you know, plays some guitar himself uh, with Alco- outside of Alkaline Trio. Um, and, uh, this, uh, and then Neil, he, uh, plays guitar, uh, you know, like he subbed in for like rise against and, uh, when, uh, the, the singer guitar guy broke his wrist and, uh, he, you know, he played guitar with, uh, I don't know, just, uh, like, a friggin' some, uh, good Charlotte. <laughs> it's like, okay, like just, just to do that. Um, so anyway, talking about people who are in demand within their things. Uh, and uh, with roots in 90s hardcore. Uh, shout out to the drummers who uh, make it all happen, really, because, you know, you, out of all the bands that you, you really need a tight, fast drummer, I mean, this is this is the genre, right? It's uh, punk and hardcore, really, uh, you know, you need it, and you need it to be good. So, so there, I got I got two in on uh, on one go there, Dan. That's, uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll. Uh, I, I might. I guess it, so. We don't take forever here. I'll just quickly run through my last two picks. Yeah, sure. Uh, one is one that we've uh, actually, you know, has been has come up on the show before. Uh, that is Steve McBean, uh, okay. who is currently plays in Black Mountain and Pink Mountain Tops. Uh, right from Vancouver, uh, but cool. he goes way back to uh, his first band was Red Tide, uh, who were kind of like a melodic hardcore band from Victoria in the mid '80s. Uh, yeah. Their drummer, oh, their drummer's name escapes me at the moment, but he was also the drummer in DOA for like a good. It was the drummer from DOA that passed away in the fire in like the oh. mid '90s or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name and I feel really terrible. That's that, the, uh, that, that, it'll that, be in the notes. The but anyways, yeah, exactly. but uh, yeah, Red Tide's discography ended up kind of being re-released uh, after this guy passed. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, he was in Red Tide. Then he was in a band called Mission of Christ who were label mates of Offspring when Offspring were first starting out. Wow. Um, and then uh, played in a band called Gus uh, who were... Yeah. I, yes. yeah, okay. They were on uh, they they most of the releases were on No Means No's label, Wrong Records. Uh, really? You know, this was all while he was still he was still based out of Victoria at the time. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, and then they put a, ended up putting a split seven inch with Gus from Florida 
on No Idea Records, which was one oh, of the so, first. Oh, that's that's who that I was one of my first introductions to. to No Idea. Okay. Was okay. and then I think Vancouver somehow ended up on No Idea's radar because they ended up putting on a record for uh, uh, called Spark Marker for Vancouver as well. Spark uh, Marker, man, yeah, that's that, that's taking me back. Which Very I thought good. was kind of wild that like yeah, this Florida label way back then is like all these you know in a less internet intensive time where a lot of yeah. the time it would have to be like hey i met this band and i want to put out their record you know well like so how, that's part- how those connections made out most of that time but anyways yeah um yeah so he was in uh gus uh then he was in after gus uh he was in the first band he was in a band called x dead teenager that was the first of his projects that i got to see live uh teenager. Okay. who were x dead teenager were kind of like you know more like kind of like that drive like jehu uh like kind of discordant guitar rock sound i guess you could say um that yeah and uh they were working a little bit of keyboards into the mix as well towards the end and then uh after Dead teenager broke up he started jerk with a bomb who i talked about on the show previously uh which then sort of grew into black mountain and pink mountaintops and anyways he's one of my favorite canadian singer songwriters of all time over all these projects um yeah and then the other pick of mine was uh yeah another artist i kind of ended up just listening to for the arc of their career which is mf doom whose shirt i'm wearing right now very cool. Uh, yes. Very cool. Who yeah. started out as a member of a group called KMD in the 80s with his brother, uh, DJ Subrock. Uh, DJ Subrock passed, was hit by a car when he was out walking across the street. Um, then MF Doom retired from music for a bit, came back in his career. You know, the persona he was most known for with the uh, wearing his iconic right. metal yeah. mask, uh, but also put out albums under a sort of in the character of one of the other monsters from the Godzilla movies. And like, in the character you know, of, that's yes, a... uh, as King Ghidorah, um, for a couple of records. And like, you know, he did albums as sort of more of like a street level, uh, type character named Victor Vaughn for a bit. And then Who is the collaborated. Yes. Mar- yeah. In the, yes. In the it's, you know, and then, okay. you know, also collaborated with folks like, uh, Madlib for Mad Villainy, which is kind of like that's like his kind of his magnum opus album uh, to a lot of people, and then Danger Mouse for Danger Doom, uh, and then you know a series of his own kind of like self-produced albums that were like just kind of intense and sometimes really dark, sometimes really kind of like silly sounding, but like just very rudimentary loops, but intensely intricate rhymes like. Before recording the show, I was watching a video on YouTube where they were just showing the lyrics and color coding all of the internal rhyme schemes. And it was just like, yeah, it was like, watch. Yeah, just like if I if I if I ever get back in and is an English teacher, that's I'm going to. And it's like it's the kind of thing that like he's like, you know, the, the cliche of your favorite artist, you know, favorite whatever's favorite whatever. But he's literally like, you know, those that are respected as some of like the top craftspeople in hip-hop um you know have looked you know they've you know a lot of them have cited mf doom as like one of the people they look to um and yeah unfortunately he got deported from the u.s in 2010 uh because he was born in the uk and his parents moved to new york but you know just 
he apparently didn't have citizenship. Somebody, it, when people were, they were just being horrible, you know, being more and more horribly anti-immigrant in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, you know, he ended up just, he went on tour to Europe and just wasn't able to get back into the country. Dang. So he ended up spending like the last decade of his life living in England. Well, um, he, he passed away, right? He doesn't. Yeah, he passed anymore. away uh, just a couple years ago, actually. Oh. I think like just about almost two years ago now, because it was on Halloween and they announced it like New Year's. From, from what can I ask? I mean, not uh, it was just like ongoing degenerating health conditions. Oh, like he'd had, dang. like even sort of in his prime as MF Doom, he wasn't. He'd had like a lot of health. I can't, I'm not sure what issues, but he had like a couple okay. of different health problems where like yeah. he couldn't always perform live. So gotcha. as part of the character, he would sometimes send out like doom bots oh my that were God. like other Are artists you... that would like, it would be like, you would get like another rapper show up in an MF doom mask, just what? doing MF doom song, like lip syncing an MF doom song. And it's like, you never knew if you were going to get the guy or one of his like evil duplicates because you know Doctor Doom in the comics would occasionally send out robot duplicates that, that people fantastic. thought they would defeated him, but and it just he he just was able to say like no, it's my character. That um, overlaps and with actually, so many circles of nerddom. Oh my! One God. of my other uh, one of the things I listened to a lot or like a few times uh, in preparing for this was one of my other run runner ups for the list. Open Mike Eagle. Uh, he wrote a really great tribute song to MF Doom right after he passed, just or not long after he passed, just called For Doom, where, okay. you know, he's talking, like, for the, this, as the song goes on, he's talking about sort of, like, what an inspiration he was, and, you know, how he, like, was sitting there trying to write the song, going through, like, this really kind of, like, having, like, having a hard time processing his grief, and then looking at this, you know, photo he had framed of MF Doom live, that, you know, was, like, one of his... You know, one of the things he enjoyed, like, just as part of his decor, just looking at that for inspiration and, you know, just having this nice, finally working through some of his grief and then realizing that it was actually a photo from one of the shows where Doom didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just kind of like, you know, ever the villain. Ha ha, you got me. <laughs> I, I finished that just, that was like, and... you know, that just kind of like, it was just like a nice little, like, tribute to just, yeah, the the artist and character, and just like I don't know, he's like the Bret Hart of rap, <laughs> you know, like, yes. wow. you know, just like a, a, a one of the most respected technicians, I guess, in the course of his life. But yeah, had like like I said, you performed as himself, as different characters, collaborated with different people. Um, yeah, like from like the late '80s on to you know pretty much around the time the date passed. Wow. And yeah. Definitely worth checking out. I'll put in a few things in the notes. Well, again, I mean, it's hard to use the internet as a music fan, even if you're yeah. not into, like, you know, hip-hop especially, and not be aware of that guy in the map. Yeah, yeah. Like, with all the articles and Pitchfork and whatever else, you know. But, uh, no, nah, man, that's sick. And uh, just what you were sort of describing about his posthumous thing... Um, I, I just finished reading this really awesome biography about uh, Prince, you know, uh, mm. and, you know, speaking of uh, artists from Minneapolis uh, and like just the weirdness and myth that kind of surrounds yeah. him. And there was this one, you know, journalist from, you know, Minneapolis who uh, got in 
you know, inside and actually got to kind of a straight friendship and straight, you know, thing with him. And uh, just some of the stuff like about persona and artisthood and who you were mm. compared to, you know, and especially I think for black musicians, right? Like there's mm. a whole other, you know, aspect of it that we as like just privileged white dudes, you know, who just we're music aficionados, you know, yeah. like can't even fathom, right? So, um, nah, man, doom boss. I mean, that's so, yeah. that's so that's, that's brilliant just, right there. Yeah, yeah, like he just, like, yeah, just the, that's like the way that his lyrics were put together were just, and it's like, it would be over, you know, sometimes over just like, just like a very, just the most deceptively simple loops. Uh, his album, uh, Born, uh, Born Like This, uh, is probably one of my favorites of like his just straight up like Doom solo albums. Okay. Uh, and it's, it gets pretty abrasive at times. Uh, the title track is built around like a, hey, a Charles Bukowski poem, actually. Uh, really? oh. but there's one song on there called Gazillionaire where it's Doom rapping over, I think, three different instrumental, like, uh, three different, uh, sort of short instrumental tracks. Uh, by Jay Dilla, uh, the hip-hop producer, the sort of, like, one of the, like, just god-tier hip-hop producers, uh, who's unfortunately passed away as well. And then it's, like, Donuts uh, was his instrumental, his one of his final releases that he was literally working on on his deathbed. Uh, wow. And Doom did a song that was, sort of took three of these short instrumental pieces and stuck them together and just put the most intensely intricate rhymes over top of them. That's just like, you know, just one of my favorite just pieces of hip hop full stop, you know? Wow. That's like one of my favorite producers and favorite, you know, lyricists just, yeah, doing you know, sort of their things being done together at the highest level. Fantastic. Yeah. No, man, that's uh that's really cool. And actually uh, the reference to uh, the Charles Bukowski uh, poem um, I guess for my final thing here, uh, before we, uh, you know, kind of wind it down, um, I'm just going to you know, kind of steer back into uh, into the realm of uh, punk rock yeah. um, by uh, just giving a shout out to uh, Chris Waller uh, from Hot Water Music. Hot Water Music, uh, you, know, mm. and, you know, just such a major, uh, you know, Gainesville, No Idea and uh, Epitaph uh, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other record labels, uh, you know, they're. They're they're just like the the quintessential good guys of yep. uh, of punk, you know, and uh, for you know from Gainesville, not just home of uh, not just the home of No Idea, but home of a uh, Tom Petty as well. So from Tom Petty's hometown, uh, you kind of growing up with that around you, uh, and uh, Wallard. I mean, I mean. So speaking of you know punk tattoos, I've got the Lawrence Arms tattoo, but the year before I got a the bird uh, uh, with a you know. <laughs> from the Ship Thieves, uh, yeah. which is like Wallard's, uh, you know, main gig uh, that he does outside of Hot Water Music. And uh, so in addition to like uh, just, you know, uh, Hot Water, which has been running for, you know, 25 plus years at this point, uh, you know, in addition to that, uh, Ship Thieves, like straight up, like any member of that band in terms of like, you know, secondary projects or whatever, I mean, it's just, it's so good. It just, it's, he started, it starts out with just this kind of, the first record is like folksy, alternative, you know, kind of like very, very un-hot-water-music-esque. 
Uh, but now by, you know, the fourth record out or whatever it's been, uh, like it's just more strident, fast, hardcore punk. And it's, again, but it's just built around uh, really intelligent lyrics and really thoughtful melodies. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that sort of uh, brought uh, Leatherface uh, together, you know, for them to sort of do uh, the split on uh, BYO Records that they did with Hot Water Music with Leatherface, mm. which was the impetus for um, Leatherface coming back together after yeah. uh, a bit of a hiatus. Uh. So, I mean, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit just for oh, that. Oh, for sure. Because Leatherface is like one of my favorite bands, you know, ever of all time. Um, and then just in addition, you know, to uh, Ship Thieves and Hot Water Music, He's also uh, been part of uh, a couple of other, you know, somewhat similar, but, you know, still pretty, pretty cool projects. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you know, he's uh, in uh, Rumble Seat, which I enjoyed the hell out of. Mm. Uh, no Idea Records. And yeah. It was uh, Chuck, Ch Chuck Reagan as well and, and Chris. So Chuck and Chris, the two guitarists, the two singers doing acoustic folk music. But he's still just strumming like no 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 you know yeah um, and uh, they had a, another they had they had a female vocal co vocalist uh, you know on some of their tracks they they got sort of some seven inches out from under them uh, and they had uh, just this one really awesome twelve inch uh, Rumble Seat is dead that kind of came out after you know they they ceased to be a project anymore uh, another you know a couple projects that were sort of as part of that era that he, uh, you know, was involved in, uh, the Blackhawk Cadence, uh, a record that, uh, you know, had a female co-vocalist whose name I can't remember, but I will for the notes. And then, uh, as well, uh, uh the draft. So, uh, at one, at one point, uh, hot water music went on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, so it's basically hot water music minus, Chuck Reagan and with uh, a local dude from uh, Gainesville kind of stepping in mm -hmm. uh, to be part of that. So uh, just, uh, you know, somebody who really hasn't ever stopped making music and has been fortunate enough to, you know, because of the uh, stability, I guess, of hot water, being able to kind of keep things going on, on some other projects. So, uh, you know, and again, I just got such a respect for him as a, as a musician. He's written some of my favorite songs and I guess also, as far as it goes, he uh, stepped away from Hot Water Music from touring uh, due to uh, basically medical levels of uh, depression and anxiety. Uh. And he like had to, to the point that he had to get medical treatment for it uh, okay. and sort of adjust his life around it. And, that, and that's something that I've had to deal with. I've been, I've been yeah. uh, on antidepressant you know, medication. I'm on it now, um, and I've been on it before. And I've had probably three instances in my life where, like, I had to stop what I was doing in my life in order mm -hmm. to, you know, deal with it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm much better now. But, I mean, I just, I, I you know, somebody who's, you know, at his level, um, yeah. you know, speaking to that on the public record, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was just, it kind of adds, you know, a lot, a lot of things that you can relate to, right? Exactly. big with me. But, uh yeah, so I got, uh, you know, a couple other, uh, you know, runner up kind of artists that I throw into the notes. Uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just put them on. I'll just, I'll just name them now. Yeah. So Steve, Steve Albini uh, from Chicago, mainly because of his work as a producer, um, mm -hmm. in addition to being in three pretty, you know, heavy punk bands. And then Dwayne Dennison from the Jesus Lizard. 
um, who you just, you know, you look at it, you, you know, the stuff that he's done with Mike Patton under Tomahawk, as well as, you know, with the, Jesus, the stuff he did with the Jesus Lizard. But then he's got like an equally long and in fact longer discography of just really bizarre one-off things that he's either put out himself or, you know, a friend of a friend put out for him or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we could probably go even deeper on this. We may, yeah, we yeah. Have, we have to do uh, another episode. On, oh, for on sure, this. for sure, for sure. So, yeah, I, I just, my quick two runner-ups were, like I said, I'd, I'd mentioned briefly before, were uh, Dennis Lysen, yeah. uh from Refused. Okay. And... Uh, International Noise Conspiracy and Invasion, and now currently Fake Names, whose album I've just been checking out. Uh, they're really good. Out. Yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. Cool. And it's wild because it's just like everybody from every old DC band, and then the guy from Refused. Um, yeah. And then also, uh, like I said, I'd also mentioned before, um, my other run up was Open Mike Eagle, uh, yeah. who not so much has had a bunch of different musical projects but has just done a lot of different artistic things in general that I really respect. Uh, on top of his music, he's done like, he had a TV series on Comedy Central uh, with Baron Vaughn that was like, where he tried to like bring folks, yeah, like MF Doom and that into this other space, um, doing like weird sketch comedy stuff. And then has, <laughs> has like runs an entire podcast network, including... One of my favorites that I use, got a lot of information from, from one of my other picks. Uh, he he had, does a podcast series called What Had Happened Was, where each season he takes like a different sort of figure in hip hop and has them go through their discography episode by episode. Oh, cool. And uh, the first season is Prince Paul, who produced the first few De La Soul albums, uh, yeah. amongst a lot of other things. The second season was LP. Uh, and the third season was a guy named Dante Ross, who was part of the Beastie Boys initial like punk rock crew, oh, but geez. ended up like helping sign a tribe called Quest and like Corn wow. and like all these other artists and like you know has this whole crazy like yeah like you know Forrest Gump esque journey through that era of like different parts <laughs> of the New York scene that's like a really interesting listen as well. That so was just like I I thought it was cool that just to have someone that's to have the mind to create this he makes like really great like it's like what would be pop music in an alternate reality it's the best way i can describe it like he yeah. could there's a world where he could be like a drake or something but instead he's writing <laughs> these weird like almost like indie dream pop kind of like he has like a song built around like repurposing a broken social scene lyric and like you know just like a lot of like weird spacey self-produced stuff but like really intensely personal, like one of his albums is called Anime Trauma and Divorce, uh, which is pretty much sums Very up what nice. his life was, nice. you know, his it's life a... leading up to that point. And it's just, yeah, like one of those, like, I really respect ev- and will check out pretty much anything I see him do. So, yeah, that was my other my other sort of runner up besides. Well, yeah, that is that is fantastic, um, you know, and uh yeah, I, I really, uh, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised at some of the stuff I've uh, kind of just uncovered about some of my artists, mm. uh, you know, just through, uh, you know, a couple of hours of focused internet research yeah. here. Um, so I guess I would just say thanks for the opportunity uh, no problem. Uh, with this topic. And also, I mean, just uh, I'm like I said, uh, yeah, Union of Uranus, this hero is gone in tragedy. Like, this is going to be on my 
you know, yeah. midnight Googling it until I can buy <laughs> a vinyl thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, All right. um, it's been a slice, man. Uh, we're yeah. a little bit long here, but that's more than okay. Um, and uh, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's more than okay. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I guess probably uh, just, uh, you know, thanks anybody who's uh, checking this out. Uh, whether you're uh, checking it out for the first time, hopefully it's uh, not the last, uh, but uh, we uh, appreciate uh, you, however you're finding this. And uh, I'll just say my goodbye for now. It's uh, it's always uh, a pleasure and uh, look, looking forward to seeing you uh, again pretty soon here. All right. Yeah. I'm just going to say, see you around. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks.